Hello, and welcome to Unscheduled Flights, exploring the realms of inspiration, innovation, and creativity. I'm your host, Ambika Waters, and I welcome you to this podcast and hope you find it as interesting as I do. Hi, I'm Ambika Waters, and this is Unscheduled Flights, a podcast that explores inspiration, innovation, and creativity. And we're blessed today to have Melissa Diane Smith, author of four books on nutrition, self-healing with good food. And it's a timely podcast as we head into the season of overindulgence and rich food. So hello, Melissa, and thank you for being on our show today. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Would you like to talk about your field of food and tell us how you came to discover the wonders of nutrition and and healthy eating. Well, I really think it came from the Greek side of my family. I had a Greek grandfather, 100% Greek grandfather, who was a chef. And, you know, he, he handed down the basics of good cooking to my mother who handed it down to me. And we were strong believers that food is our best medicine. And as I, you know, got a journalism degree and also advanced training in nutrition and started counseling clients, I just found that that was true. If you know how to use, if you know how to make food your best medicine, it really is. It's just that most people believe that statement, but they don't really know how to do it. So how do you do it? Well, you have to get the... Uh, what I call food imposters out of the diet. There are a lot of um, uh, foods that look like real foods, but they're not the kind of real foods that our great grandparents had, let's say. And, um, you know, that's everything from, um, you know, vegetable oils that like, um, you know, making oils out of corn and uh, soy and um, you know some some um, plant foods like that that really shouldn't have even been made into vegetable oils and they contribute to inflammation in the body. Um, it it includes the genetically modified foods like corn and soy that are. Um, genetically modified to have to be sprayed with outrageous amounts of weed, weed killers. So we're getting that in our diet. And most people are completely unaware of that. Um, and, um, you know, there are just many what I call food imposters, and we just got to get back more to real health promoting food. So how can people find out about these imposters? Are there lists are their websites um, can people find you and and talk to you about their nutrition yeah I, yeah they i mean they can certainly go to my website melissadianesmith.com and learn about my books there my books really follow a progression i um and each one kind of deals with different kinds of food imposters in Syndrome X, which I co-authored, which is um, also called Metabolic Syndrome. It's a cluster of common heart disease risk factors. My co-authors and I 
discussed um, the health dangers of refined sugars and refined flours. And, you know, we know those are highly correlated with developing type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. In my follow-up book, I, I, I wrote Going Against the Grain, and I and most people think that you know whole grains are good for us, but there are many people who don't do well with whole grains at all, especially those who are gluten sensitive, and that's becoming more and more of a problem um, in today's society. And so I discuss that and try to help people figure out all of us, no matter whether you react gluten or not, should be eating more vegetables. And those really are the type of carbohydrates that our bodies thrive the best on. And then um, I also wrote gluten-free throughout the year to help people more easily eat a healthy gluten-free diet. And then in going against the G, uh, going against GMOs, I really do explain what genetically modified organisms are. They take a gene from um, one form of life and insert it into the DNA of a completely different form of life to create something that would never occur in nature. So those are the ultimate food imposters. Yeah, I agree with you about food. It's, it's not natural. A lot is not natural. I lived in Africa in the, um, in the 80s and in Zaire. And I met the engineers who made the first genetically modified rice. And they were at my dinner table and they were thrilled to have found a pest resistant uh, crop that could be grown three times a year instead of twice a year. And they had the backing of uh, the United Nations and the Vatican. The Vatican was particularly interested in it because of starvation. So it presents in a way better to eat something, even if it's bad for you, than to die of starvation. And that was the model that um, I think it's still a political model that better to eat bad food than to, to die of not eating anything. But in a country where we have such an abundance of food and we have so many children and adults with horrible food allergies and high sensitivity levels. I'm a homeopath and we've used glycophosphate as a new, it's a remedy. It's an actual remedy that will detox the glycophosphates out of the body. We have histamine as a remedy because of the histamine reaction to, to gluten in wheat. And I remember, in, I also lived in Spain for many years. I met a woman who ran a bakery and she had eczema on both of her hands and she got these horrible migraines. And a friend of mine who was a healer said, you're looking at the first case of wheat intolerance. Note this, she's this woman said to me, take a look at this, the eczema all over the hands, because of course she mixed the flour and the migraines are, the, are a symptom of, of wheat allergy. It was like, you know, over the past 30 years, more and more and more and more. And then working as a homeopath in the field of autism, you know, it was like these kids were eating cement. They were eating cement. Their guts were just 
rigid, rigid with inactivity and inertia, what we call in bowel inertia. And it's it's a hard thing when people have a mindset about food. And it's a mindset. What does it take to make people change the way they eat? And I would present that question to you. How do you go about getting somebody who's eaten the same way their whole life, but the food they eat has been modified? The food they eat is not the same food they had when they were kids. How do you well, go yeah, about I mean, you have to get them to understand that, first of all. I mean, most people just accept, you know, think that, well, the food's on the market, the FDA has approved it, has safety right. tested it and all of that. And they kind of give over their power to some bigger organization, but that, that organization definitely isn't protecting our health. So, you know, you have to uh, let them know what the real story is about our food and then empower them to make powerful choices um, and, and, you know, teach them how to to eat real food. And I did just want to interject here about what, what you said about um, genetically modified uh, foods. Mo um, most companies that make them have always said that we need them to feed the world to increase yield. And also they said that by um, having genetically modified foods that they would lower the use of herbicides. As it turns out, neither of those is true. That was all just a narrative to try to get people who were hesitant about wanting to eat these foods to try to accept them for the good of, you know, humanity to feed the world. But it's just a it's just propaganda. It's not, it's not correct. And, um, and, you know, research bears that out. We've, we've, we've been exposed to something like 500 million more pounds of, uh, you know, our, our food has been sprayed with 500 million more pounds of glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup since the introduction of genetically modified crops. Wow, that's 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 horrifying. It's it horrifying. I live on a lake, and when I first moved here, there were a lot of ducks, beautiful birds, herons, and hawks, and and there aren't any more. The only birds that still have survived here are um, Barbary ducks, and Barbary ducks have they have something in their genetic makeup that we use, we actually use, this is gonna sound very strange, we use their poop to make a homeopathic remedy called a silicocinum, which is one of the top selling flu influenza remedies on the market today. They're very hardy ducks, very strange looking creatures. They're the only ones floating around on this lake. The rest have died and they've died because they spray around here. That's something I, it took me a while. I kept saying, where are the ducks? Where are the ducks? Well, either the glycophosphates got into the water and into the grasses that grow in the lake. That's what I think. I think because these birds were always diving for fish or it's in the fish themselves. And I think if we're not careful, we will lose so much wildlife. The seas are now polluted badly polluted and water bodies are getting more and more polluted and 
and people are getting sicker. They're being vaccinated. They're being told that what they eat is okay when it's really not. And you see, you see the the breakdown, the actual breakdown in health. That's what I see as a homeopath. It's, they're breaking down their systems, which should have been strong enough to be able to break down some of this food, can't tolerate it anymore. And they get more and more broken down. The system can only can only accommodate so much toxicity. Yeah, they call that the rain barrel effect. You know, we're exposed to, let's say, one toxin and, you know, something that isn't healthy for us. And maybe we can handle it and get by. But when you keep adding more and more and more, it becomes a rain barrel effect. And um, eventually people lose their tolerance to things. And, you know, we have a very sick country you know the i, I mean in, in terms of the population the population um i think it's something like more than half of of the population has a chronic disease and most people don't realize we have a broken food system it's not working for us it's not keeping us healthy and um you know we have to go <laughs> go against the grain to use the words of my book to protect ourselves from this imposter food that is really hazardous to our health. So what do you do when you educate people? Do you cook for them? Do you show them how to cook? Do you give them recipes? Do you give them information about what kind of food to buy? How do you go about doing what you do? Oh, I mean, you know, I, I either um have consultations with them or I speak publicly and give presentations. Um, I do have recipes in my my book my books, mostly in going against GMOs. I have a lot of recipes. Um, but um, I really do give them kind of simple guidelines as to how to, let's say, take GMOs out of your diet and, you know, turn toward real food. And um, it's not that difficult. It's just that you have to change your mindset and start to realize that, you know, the FDA isn't protecting us and, and we have to make that extra step and um, choose real food. And um, you just have to become a little knowledgeable about it. And then it starts to become second nature. What's your take on sugar? Well, sugar is a refined carbohydrate. Like I said, um, we we know that high amounts of refined sugars, refined carbohydrates are associated with basically the diseases of modern culture. There was actually a researcher in the 1970s who went around the world and looked at various societies and i mean these were called non-industrialized societies but in every case when um that society uh, uh, started to be eating um white flour and white sugar he found that when within a period of 20 years they started to develop things like type 2 diabetes gallbladder disease heart disease 
And it was so consistent. He called it the rule of 20 years. So most people, when they're eating white flour and white sugar, they don't notice that they're having problems right away. But over time, over decades, it does contribute to those regenerative diseases. So, you know, white flour and white uh, white sugar, let's say, is is a source of calories with no nutrients to it. So, you know, the golden rule in nutrition is that you want to eat calories that give you a lot of micronutrients like vitamins and minerals as well. So, you know, it's okay to have something sweet every once in a while for most people, but it it's like most Americans eat way too much of it. Well, they can't get enough of what they don't really need. You know, it's one yeah. of those things. I call it the more syndrome, more. Once you get it into your body, it's like your body says, give me more of this, give me more of this. And sometimes people, it's not like you can eat a little bit of chocolate. You're going to wind up eating the whole bar. And well, and, and they're they're addicted to it because their blood sugar metabolism is so messed up from these decades of eating these these foods that have spiked their blood sugar levels. So, you know, it's like they have erratic blood sugar metabolism. And and for many people, they're at that stage where they can't just have a little bit. They have to really take it out of their diet so their body can heal itself. And I do believe the body has an amazing ability to heal itself if you give it's it the right ingredients. Extraordinary. It's yes. extraordinary. The uh -huh. body is doing with the right direction. We use now in homeopathy, we've turned chocolate into a remedy. We've uh -huh. turned sugar into a remedy, saccharin officinalis. And in homeopathy, we work at a physical, emotional, and mental level. So you can talk about how the body processes sugar, but what does that mean emotionally? It means somebody's not getting enough sweetness in their life. I mean, that's the metaphor, that life is just not sweet enough. And like I said, glycophosphate is now a remedy. I don't know the emotional picture of that. I just know the breakdown. Same with histaminum, which is histamine. And also I work with flower essences. And there's a woman out of Virginia at Paralandra. She grows her own flowers and her own vegetables and turns them into flower essences. And she's using corn, which she has used as flower essence to help people detox that. She's also using oh, comfrey, cucumber, celery as, as medicine, actual medicine. And it's fascinating to see how it's, how the body, how the emotions and how the mind starts to stabilize when it, when it's able to detoxify what it doesn't need and find a level of stability with what serves it. The body is remarkable. I agree with you. And so is the spirit. And I do think to modify your eating takes a certain amount of willpower and it takes a certain amount of discipline. That's been my experience. When I worked in autism, there was a diet called the GAPS diet. Are you familiar with GAPS? And it was a great diet, but probably the hardest diet I've ever 
tried to eat in my whole life because it was about giving up sugar. It's like, oh God, how do you do it? And I remember talking to one of my colleagues and she said, when she was a child growing up, her mother would take a roast and roll it in sugar. So it would caramelize. It's like, really? I mean, it just sounded almost obscene. <laughs> Some of the things that when people start sharing the sugar stories. But we found out that if you if we could get the parents to get these kids onto this diet, their autism cleared up 10 times faster than if you just gave a homeopathic remedy to detox, to get the bowels moving, to you know, to, to get some of that stagnation out of their bodies. But it does require a willingness to change. And in my experience with medication, conventional medication, one of the things that happens with medication is it rents the will. It's like the will just gets like a piece of silk that's torn in half. The will gets diminished and it becomes harder and harder for people to make wholesome choices. So it's that rain barrel effect. It is that vicious circle. Somebody's got to know they are not well eating bad foods. You've got to know that it's putting heroic doses of medication into your body doesn't serve in the long run. It's, it is an education and sometimes it feels like a downhill, a downhill run. But I do think it takes perseverance and a lot of repetition, a lot of repetition about what's good and what will help. Any suggestions? I sure well, like to. I was yeah. I'm gonna you know chime in here and say. I mean, honestly, the um, mainstream media and the medical system and all that don't want us to think that food is our best medicine. They they have you know ulterior motives to try to keep us in that vein of well we have a health condition then we you got got to take a medication or a vaccine or something like that and um and they really try to discourage I, I was just reading actually today that they're trying they're trying to discourage people away from homeopathy but they're also trying to to um <laughs> yeah they're also trying to discourage people away from you know nutrition real food is medicine nutrition and they always you know say well yeah improve your diet but they don't really tell people how to do that and they don't really tell tell people how toxic our food supply is and they don't do anything to change it so you do have to go against the grain of the status quo and decide that no i'm not going to do it this way of going down this drug path i'm going to do it with these natural approaches like food or like homeopathy and, um, you know, it just require, and, and most people actually gravitate toward those more, but, but there's a whole media that's trying to push people, you know, the other way, the drug way. And, and especially if you watch mainstream TV, you know, you're getting those subliminal messages all the time. Every day. And then they tell you the side effects, which like, I have to turn the sound off. You know? Yeah. Like, uh -huh. I can't listen I hear, and they even mentioned death, you know, as a possible outcome for this medication. It's like, really? Right. Where are we at when somebody can sneak that in? It's pretty much 
my take on it is it's pretty much about greed. And one of the things I have found in better eating is that I need less because the food is nutritious. I'm not, my body is not trying to stuff itself to get what it needs. It's a lot e easier to eat less and to stay strong. And I think you're right. There are times the body does want something sweet and it's a reward or, or a celebration. I see a lot of diabetes more and more, and I see it hitting younger people sooner than later. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's a very sad thing for me to see people lose their will, lose their motivation, lose their energy. So my, my well, I think I think that's very interesting that what you said about um, that, you know, the more medications people take, it seems to reduce their will. I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but that that's an interesting observation on your part in terms of type 2 diabetes. I mean, that's a perfect example. You know, it, there was a time when children didn't get type 2 diabetes at mm -hmm. all. And now, you know, it, it's a, it's common. And, um, and it. yeah, and it, earlier and earlier and earlier, it used to be considered type 2 diabetes used to be called adult onset diabetes. And it was supposed to be in the later part of your years that it showed up. Well, now it just keeps going earlier and earlier, er, earlier. And that just shows how refined our diet is. So many refined sugars, refined flours, refined oils, um, you know, food additives and all these junk foods and snack foods. And, um, and the more we've strayed away from real food that helps to balance blood sugar levels, the more that we've, you know, gotten that problem earlier and earlier. So, you know, people just think it's a fact of life that people get type two diabetes. Now, it used to be very uncommon, you know. When I worked in autism, and we, we were very, very um, adamant that the if these kids are going to be in a program, I ran a camp one summer uh, called Heart of Peace here in Tucson. And we were blessed to have uh, Renee from Renee's Oven. She did all the food and she was magnificent. These kids who were between six and uh, the oldest was like 13, they kids whose parents said they will not eat this, they will not eat that they ate everything she put in front of them. And at the end, they applauded her. Wow. They loved her. She was magnificent. And they got, parents got to see that if it, you could do it right and you could make it appealing. But we had one family, very, very poor family. They were immigrants from uh, down, down south in Southern Mexico. And they had a severely autistic child, severely autistic. and she pooped one day of a month practically. I mean, her bowels were just absolutely rigid. She couldn't talk and she was in constant pain. So when we when I started treating this little girl, we gave her a remedy that just started to work instantly, got her bowels moving and she started to talk. 
for the first time. She was six at the time. And her parents were like, they'd never seen anything like it. They lived in a trailer and he was a day worker, day laborer. And the father said to me, what can I do? What can I do to help my baby? I said, you could grow a garden. You could grow a garden. Food was not as expensive as it is now. Food is outrageously expensive now. I said, grow a garden. So they did with a plot about the size of a door. <laughs> they grew a, gar a vegetable garden and fed their two children from that. And she, the mother learned to, to use non-GMO uh, gluten-free wheat. They could make their own food their cultural food, but so much better. And she, this little girl, within a period of about nine months to a year, was back in a regular age-appropriate school. Yeah. It was just an incredible transformation. And what I learned, is, I learned so much from those parents who were willing to do whatever it took to help their kids heal. And it was just beautiful, fresh vegetables, fruit the mother would make empanadas and tacos but with the right ingredients and that little girl was like a poster child for to me for what was possible it was very exciting to see now you're not going to find that in every family but it was so encouraging it was so so encouraging to see what's possible and you know, that kind of thing keeps me going. Anything that you want to share before we close the podcast that you would encourage listeners to uh, take on board? Oh, well, I mean, I've seen very, very powerful stories of when people change their diet. I mean, you know, the reason one of the reasons I wrote going against GMOs is I had a client, she had health problems across the board. And um, when I got her to take corn and um, the major genetically modified foods out of her diet, she saved $7,000 in medical expenses the first year. <laughs> it was such a powerful story. I felt like I had to get this out to people. Um, you know, I think most people are just not aware that our, our food has been adulterated so much and what a difference it, it can make when you get back to real food. Um, so, uh, you know, I just encourage people to go to my website, melissadianesmith.com, look at the books I've written. If they're interested in a consultation, contact me. Um, but that's really if you want to make food your best medicine, that you're not going down the drug path but you decide, no, I want to do it the food way, <laughs> then um, I'm the right person for that. Well, we'll have all your information up um, when we go viral. And I just want to say thank you, Melissa, for sharing. You know, it's a field that is close to my heart. And I, I think we both have seen a lot of positive things from it, both our personal lives and and um, with our clients. And I really thank you for sharing and encourage people to contact Melissa if you feel that you're willing to make a difference in the way you ingest food and make it your best medicine. So this is uh, Amvika Waters with Unscheduled Flights, exploring the realm of
inspiration, innovation, and creativity, saying thank you for watching and hope you'll join us again soon. I'd like to thank our guests today who've shared their experience, who have enhanced my life by developing skill sets and a vision of the world that is really expanded and I think beautiful. So thank you until the next podcast of Unscheduled Flights. Again, I'm your host, Ambika Waters, wishing you all the best.